1: Well, hello everyone, and you join us here today to talk about Rolex and Grand Seiko. Which one is better? We're about to find out. Looking for a Rolex or Grand Seiko? There's hundreds to choose from pre-owned at watchfinder.com. Tom, this is one of the touchiest subjects, I think, in the entire watch sphere. Rolex, the big brand that everyone's heard of, that everyone loves, that's conquered the world, versus Grand Seiko, a Japanese watchmaker that nobody's heard of, that nobody really seems to love to the same degree as Rolex, but the people who do think it's better.
0: Yeah, and they try and convince the others that it's better all
1: the time, (laughs) which is what we're going to do. Exactly. So today we're going to look at a bunch of different categories. We're going to look at history, innovation, complexity, artistry and quality to determine once and for all Rolex, Grand Seiko, which is better. I say once and for all. I mean, until the next time we have this conversation, Tom, inevitably. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Should we start off with having a look at the history of these two brands then, Tom? Set the scene. It's 1905. Hans Wilsdorf, a young upstart. He wants to make a little bit of money in the Swiss watch business. He's moved from Switzerland to England because he likes England and he thinks there's an opportunity there to sell better quality watches. England used to be this hub of watchmaking, but it all got too expensive and the watchmaking had become rubbish. This was, I mean, this was long before
0: Bremont, so yeah, <laughs> it's a lot different now.
1: They were still using outdated escapements and basically, Hans Wilsdorf, who was in the uh, the supply chain business in Switzerland, thought, I can get Swiss movements, lever escapements, high quality, package them in English cases with English bracelets, sell them to the English. Perfect. By comparison, Grand Seiko wasn't to appear for another 55 years, so pretty, pretty much lagging behind there. But Seiko that founded Grand Seiko was founded in 1881, which is way ahead of Rolex. Do you think that adds much stock to the whole uh, Grand Seiko story? You know, Seiko's right
0: there in the name, isn't it? (laughs) It's all built
1: upon the same foundations, isn't it, surely? It is. And Grand Seiko was founded specifically because Seiko wanted to up its game to the next level. Rolex weren't competing to the same degree that Grand Seiko was for the most accurate watches. Yes, Rolex had the first chronometer-certified wristwatch, but that's only because all the other brands were submitting pocket watches because wristwatches, nobody cared about them. It was more of a like a gotcha, skirting the rules a little bit, changing the norms slightly. And for that, Rolex is, is pretty iconic. Speaking of iconic, Tom, throw some iconic watches at me from Rolex. Oh, well, uh, Submariner. That's, that's the main one, isn't it? Copied. Copied. Yeah, copied from Blancpain, who released a very similar watch a year earlier. The mil-spec version of the Blancpain 50 Fathoms Rolex thought, oh yeah, we can change our turnograph to be very, very similar. So they did. So, sorry. All right, Daytona. Copied, Tom. The Omega Speedmaster came out in 1957. The Daytona, 1963. And really, the Speedmaster... Uh, it started off a new era of chronograph watches that were big and for use for motorsport and chunky, and Rolex copied it. It was actually really unsuccessful because nobody bought them. The thing is with all of those things, yeah, they may well be copies, but
0: it's a case where the cover version is better than the original. These are all all along the watchtowers by Jimi Hendrix. You know, Blancpain is just Bob Dylan. He didn't know what he had. Yeah. And then Rolex comes along and you know, with some wailing electric guitar, and makes it awesome. And then
1: suddenly Blancpain puts it back in their repertoire. <laughs> I can't disagree with that at all. Um, let's have a look at Grand Seiko's icons. Uh... <clears throat> well, yeah, that's tricky, isn't it? I mean, I suppose
0: you could say Snowflake, couldn't you? That's that's not iconic. That is a damn fine watch. That is
1: probably underappreciated largely it's an icon within a certain group of people but i wouldn't call it globally iconic if you showed it to most people they say like why are you showing me that seiko
0: was grand seiko even available to buy in the uk up until like a few years ago like i certainly don't remember it
1: no it wasn't it was um domestic only until 2010 and yeah. the Snowflake was the watch that they tried to crack the international markets with.
0: It's sort of nascent in its in how iconic it is, isn't it? It's, it's only just starting to get momentum um, because of that. Yeah, as you say, domestic until 2010. So that's a lot of people that aren't going to know about it for a long
1: time. Well, let's talk about uh, innovations then. Romex. No. It- <laughs> we can if you want, I mean... <laughs> Rolex is known for a whole bunch of innovations, very, very publicly. Some of them you, you're you probably aware of. So let's do the same exercise again. Why don't you chuck out some of the innovations that you know Rolex is uh, attributed to, and I'll tell you what I think. Jam jar lids. Exactly, yeah. The, the jam jar lid oyster case, screw everything down so nothing can escape. Omega before then, the Seamaster was just clipped together. They called it a Seamaster, but it was dustproof. Rolex yeah. was like, nah, uh nah. We're going to screw it all down real tight so no one can get in or out screwing down the crown, screwing down the case back, screwing down the front those things all already existed and existed for ages. There were pocket watches shown at the World's Fair many many decades before that had that exact functionality but Rolex put it all together in one in one watch really. Um, yeah. any other innovations that you can think of that Rolex invented?
0: the rotor weight was the automatic winding system. Was that them? I, oh, no, I, I, I don't know why I'm even saying that because I know that you're going to say, oh no, Zenith did that
1: a hundred years <laughs> yeah. ago. Uh, but no, an automatic winding watch. Pocket watches existed way before and there was a wristwatch with an automatic winding movement, a hardwood that came out uh, a few years before the Rolex as well. So no, no innovation. It's like Apple. We say this quite a lot. It's like Apple. They don't invent it, but they perfect it. Uh, but let's have a look at Grand Seiko's innovations by comparison. I think the big one is spring drive, right? Do you know how spring drive works? What, what that's all about? <clears throat> Do I know how spring drive works?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, moving on. No, wait, <laughs> no. Tell me, Tom, how does spring drive work?
0: Okay, so I would just, I just, you know, layman's terms, just, you know, just boil it down in a nutshell for people. Um, it's the combination of of mechanical and quartz equals smooth
1: sweep is that's basically it with new smooth sweep technology (laughs) yeah exactly yeah um well you you're certainly right you're certainly right yeah a mechanical spring rather than a battery they got it so the mechanically powered spring could generate a current run it through the quartz, and then they used uh, an electromagnet to control the speed of the, uh, the second-hand wheel, which is why you get that really, really smooth sweep. And it feels to me like some of the innovations that you see in mechanical watchmaking just feel like noodling, whereas this feels like the combination of not needing to have a battery in a quartz watch, whilst also uh, getting to enjoy the accuracy of quartz. The two things are combined together to make a more usable technology today, tomorrow. Yesterday, Yeah. There's also the dual impulse escapement. So they're not just innovating into new things like spring drive, but they've also taken the mechanical escapement and updated it. So, Tom, we all know that the escapement uses an impulse from the escape wheel into the pallet to drive the balance wheel. And so all of those impulses, you get one that goes one way, one that goes the other way. And that's kind of how it works. The pallet fork beats hey, back. are you cause... saying jewel or jewel impulse? Jewel, yes. Jewel as in the little red
0: jewels or jewel as in double?
1: There are jewels. But in this yeah. context, we're talking about jewel. As okay. In... So the jewels impulse? Y- yes. Yes, they do, but I think you might be confusing the matter slightly. That's not my intention at all. (laughs) Well, basically, the dual impulse escapement from Grand Seiko means that the escape wheel will impulse the balance wheel one way through the pallet fork, but directly to the balance wheel the other way. And what that does is it reduces the... um, power losses in that drivetrain and it gives you more power for your mainspring. So you can increase the, um, the power reserve whilst also having a high beat movement and you get a combination of those two things that you would ordinarily get. That's a Grand Seiko thing. They didn't need to make that. They did. Everyone's like... <sighs> yeah, those are great innovations. Those to me feel like actual innovations. We haven't mm. seen a, an escapement innovation since the coaxial and before that, the lever escapement, which was Hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, between Rolex and Grand Seiko, I think Grand Seiko is innovating and Rolex is just doing a really good job packaging and marketing. Because for Rolex, their most complex watch at the moment is the Skydweller. And there's something quite cool about the Skydweller. It's an annual calendar, which means throughout the year it will show the correct date. It'll take care of the 30s and the 31sts of the months, except for February. Um, and it's also a GMT. But it doesn't have all these hidden pushes all over the place. It's not unique to the Rolex, but it uses the 12 o'clock markers to represent the month. There's little windows around the outside, and you can see the correct month is highlighted in red. But what's really, really clever about the Skydweller is that if you unscrew the crown and you set it to the setting position, whether you set the time or the GMT or the date is just down to how you position the bezel. Like The bezel itself twists to the different settings, and it feels very, very satisfying to use.
0: Yeah. I've had a go on one. (laughs) It's good.
1: (laughs) It's not a mechanical complication per se, but as a piece of very, very refined functionality, I think it's one of the best.
0: Yeah, and it's amazing as well, because it doesn't look that complicated. You've got that calendar wheel in the middle, but it still looks like a Rolex. It still looks like a tool
1: watch, but... There's a lot more going on under the surface than would meet the eye. It's not a very small watch, but like you say, it's very refined and keeps that Rolex aesthetic whilst adding complexity, which is really impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, If we were to jump over to the complexity of a Grand Seiko, I mean, come on. Oh, what about the Kodo? I mean, that's hella complex, isn't it? It is the Kodo Constant Force Tourbillon. We got the opportunity to see kodo in action at Watches and Wonders a few years ago for a, a brief time, and it's just like looking into Iron Man's heart. Uh, sure. Do you mean the Iron Giant? <laughs> sure. It's the first time... Anyone in the world ever has combined a constant force complication, which is where you want to maintain uh, an equal level of torque from the mainspring as it winds down. You know, as the spring winds down, it starts off all like... And then it goes... Like chattery teeth toys. Exactly, yeah. It maintains that torque all the way throughout in a torbion, And the way they've packaged it up is all in that same axis. So you see the balance beating back backwards and forwards. You see the tourbillon going around and then you see the constant force mechanism on top of that. So it's just like...
0: It's on another level of complexity, isn't it? It's almost like a concept watch like you would see from, you know, Maximilian Busa and Friends. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever seen Rolex toy with something like this in their wildest dreams? I think not.
1: Uh, exactly. And that, that's the, the point really is that Grand Seiko is really, really pushing itself. Rolex always plays it safe. That the Skydweller is the most complex watch it's made in decades is kind of crazy, really. Yeah, it's, it's never really been about that. It's always been about taking something simple and packaging it up in a simple way so it appeals to a lot of people. Speaking of not really Rolex's thing, another thing I want to compare and contrast between Rolex and Grand Seiko is artistry. What do you think of uh, when it comes to Rolex and artistry? um mahogany tiger's eye (laughs) that sort of thing laser engraved palm fronds
0: yeah yeah old furniture and clip art on the dial is what i think
1: of when i think of rolex's artistry yeah it's all very engineered it's like asking a civil engineer to create something artistic they go i don't know i can draw you a house how's that This laser's really good at doing tiles.
0: I can do that. Compare that to Grand Seiko. Yeah, and they're like, "Mm, which hundred-year-old technique from our rich heritage of artisanal delights shall we
1: draw upon next? Yeah. Hang on, it's snowing on that mountain. I feel a dial coming on. (laughs) Which majestic tundra shall we face this time to create something that will bring watch collectors to their knees? Absolutely. Uh Uh-oh, spring again. It's like that, isn't it? They have so many different dial textures executed in so many different ways. I recently saw an edition of the latest Spring Drive collection with the Omiwatari dial texture with a deep blue enameling, I think. There was, there was a coating of some description over the top. And they said, oh, this represents the lake sewer in moonlight. And it really right. did. The way yeah. you moved it around in the light, the light moved over the waves. It genuinely looked like... You know in a film when someone gets drawn into something and then they play an animation over the top and it's just like... (laughs) It was like that, like looking through a window into a moonlit blue lake. The way the light moved over it, it looked like the waves were moving. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm going to be poorer again. Um, It's very, very emotive. I can't say there are many Rolexes that are as emotive as any Grand Seiko at all. Yeah. And let's round it off. Quality. How do you pitch Rolex quality versus Grand Seiko quality? Rolexes
0: are of a very high quality. I think they look amazing. They're very, very shiny. I love their ceramic bezels. You know, the use of materials is, you know, it's it's high end. Their aesthetic, obviously, is one of a very functional tool watch kind of vibe that they're going for. But that's not to say that their finishing isn't really, really high end. But Grand Seiko's finishing is on another level still above Rolex. Um, oh, they've got that Zaratsu polishing, haven't they? Everyone loves that. zaratsu
1: <laughs> I, th- I think, really, to, to summarise that, Rolex hasn't had Philippe Dufour visit their highest level of watchmaking and give it the thumbs up. Yeah. Grand Seiko has. Their micro artist yeah. studio is Philippe Dufour approved. They use the same techniques that he does, even the same pieces of wood to do the polishing. It is... As top as top gets. However, however, Philippe Dufour does wear a Rolex Daytona. There you go. Well, yeah. There you go. That's that, it. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? I think it's game, set, match there, Tom. Um, Dave, you and listener. What do you think? Let us know down in the comments what you think about Grand Seiko versus Rolex and which you think comes out on top. Please do like and subscribe while you're at it because it really, really does help. And we will see you next time.
0: Goodbye.
1: Bye-bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.